0: And welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the June market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I will be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. Among the numerous etymologies suggested for the naming of June, a highly plausible candidate eloquently expressed by the Roman poet Ovid, 43 BC, 18 AD, indicates that the month is named after the Roman goddess Juno, the goddess of marriage and the wife of the supreme deity Jupiter. In the northern hemisphere, amidst lengthening daylight, brightening skies and ascending temperatures, this year's May and early June have featured listless, at times somewhat complacent, range-bound movements in equities indices, interest rates, and the U.S. dollar's exchange rate versus major currencies. A prime example is the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond, which has spent the last 10 weeks in a fairly constrained yield range between 1.54% and 1.74% following the sharp up moves in equity prices from the dramatic bottom of March 23, 2020. Equities have seemed to be marking time as financial market Participants scanned the horizon for positive or negative catalysts that could generate meaningful upward or downward price movement from current levels. As shown in the table provided in the original commentary, after strong price performance in the months of February, March, and April, in May, the SP 500 index gained only positive 0.5%. The NASDAQ Composite Index declined negative 1.5% in May, following a positive 5.3% gain in April, and the Russell 2000 Index of small and mid cap companies managed only a positive 0.1%. price increase in May. Substantially different from its large price gains in January, positive 5.0%, and February, Positive 6.1%. By contrast, the month of May and April featured meaningful upward price movements for gold and crude oil. The gold price rose positive 7.9% in May after rising positive 3.6% in April, and West Texas intermediate crude oil prices advanced positive 4.4% in May following a positive 7.3% rise in April. The five most recent weeks have witnessed 1. Generally modest economic data on employment and retail sales. 2. Measures implemented by China to control raw materials costs. 3. Somewhat reduced inflation worries, with several Federal Reserve governors beginning to reference the subject of tapering, the Fed's monthly rate of asset purchases. 4. Rather, be calmed, treading water movements in U.S. Treasury bond yields. 5. A degree of cooling in financial market enthusiasm for a number of special-purpose acquisition companies, SPACs, as well as for overcrowded trades in unprofitable emerging technology companies, renewable energy plays, and China technology issues. Six, price pullbacks in numerous economically sensitive and lesser quality companies and sectors and 7. Successive Friday closes of the VIX equity market volatility measure in a below average range between 16.42 and 20.15. Recognizing that some sort of pause is usually normal, especially as the economy transitions from its recovery rebound phase to an organic growth phase, investors have rotated out of many high-growth companies and sectors into value-oriented names and industries, as they have essentially finished digesting an outstanding first quarter 2021 earnings season. Now, they appear to await more attractive entry points for certain securities and asset classes. With the S&P 500 index up positive 12.6% through June 4th and trading at an elevated multiple of 21.3 times forward earnings compared to a long-term average of between 13 and 17 times, investors have begun to assess what further amount of upside price potential remains for the balance of this year given 1. the future path of the economic recovery, 2. whether rising inflation rates turn out to be transitory or enduring, three, questions about the sustainability of currently high U.S. corporate profit margins, and four, what fiscal and monetary measures governments and central banks are likely to implement in the second half of 2021 and beyond. We will examine how asset prices may be influenced by factors including inflation, tapering, and the pace of Federal Reserve asset purchases, the U.S. fiscal picture, economic growth, corporate profits, and valuations. Now let's discuss the potential paths of inflation. The Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge, the core excluding food and energy, personal consumption expenditures, PCE, inflation rate rose positive 0.7% month-over-month and positive 3.1% year-over-year in May, while above the Fed's announced positive 2.0% target. Financial asset prices have reacted with a modicum of calm, expecting that this number would be higher than normal owing in part to year-earlier comparisons with relatively lower price levels experienced in the midst of the 2020 pandemic-induced economic retrenchment. Although financial market participants currently do not expect consumer price inflation to approach the lofty levels of four decades ago, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, consumer price inflation as measured by the CPI was positive 9.0% in 1978, positive 13.3% in 1979, positive 12.5% in 1980, and positive 8.9% in 1981. Concerns have arisen due to demand-driven, shortage-induced, and or supply chain-disrupted rising prices. Among other items, price increases have been reported for food, building materials, energy, semiconductors, shipping rates, residential dwellings, and new and used vehicles. Other measures of inflation that factor into the inflation outlook include a broad range of inputs including 1. Labor costs in the Average Hourly Earnings and Employment Cost Index as calculated by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics BLS. 2. The 2-year, 5-year, and 10-year break-even inflation rates as measured by the difference between inflation-protected and conventional U.S. Treasury Securities 3, month-over-month and year-over-year percentage changes, and the trimmed mean versions thereof, in the headline and Core Consumer Price Index and Producer Price Index. 4. The Prices Paid and Prices Received sub-indexes in the Philadelphia, Empire State, and other regional Federal Reserve Manufacturing Surveys, five, spot physical and futures prices for commodities including energy products, industrial metals, lumber, livestock, and agricultural products, six, home ownership and rental costs, and seven, consumers' inflation expectations over a one-year and five-year time frame, as measured by the monthly University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. In its summary of economic projections that are scheduled to be released at the end of its two-day monetary policy meeting on June 15 through the 16th, it is possible that the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee will raise its forecast of 2021 core, excluding food and energy, personal consumption expenditures (PCE) inflation from its current level of positive 2.2 percent to somewhere in the neighborhood of positive 2.6 to 2.8 percent. While for the time being, leaving unchanged or modestly increasing its current forecast of positive 2.0% core PCE inflation for 2022. Taking all of these signposts into account and considering the ongoing disinflationary influences of technology, continued globalization, even if less than in the past three decades, reduced energy and manufacturing intensity, demographics, and labor market mobility, our view is that, one, it may take six months to a year in order to gain a clear grasp of the underlying inflation trend, and to near near-term inflation in the general price level may rise a relatively modest degree. At the same time, investors need to remain cognizant of the longer-term impact and implications. If higher inflation expectations, in fact, become embedded in business and consumer decisions, putting downward pressure on the U.S. dollar's internal and external purchasing power of near-zero interest rates, exceptional central bank balance sheet expansion, high rates of monetary growth, and massive fiscal deficits. Now let's discuss the timing of tapering. On May 19th of this year, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee released the minutes of its April 27th through 28th policy meeting, in which several members expressed concerns that apparently transitory price pressures stemming from wage pressures, labor supply shortfalls, and supply chain disruptions could turn out to be more long-lasting than anticipated. On Thursday, May 20th, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan said that tapering talk should start sooner rather than later, and on Friday, May 21st, Philadelphia Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker used the same words to describe his thinking. Such discussions may represent the first steps towards tightening monetary policy in which the Fed begins explicitly talking about scaling back monetary tapering. It's $80 billion in monthly purchases of U.S. Treasury issues and $40 billion in monthly purchases of mortgage-backed securities, which in turn would represent a precursor to higher short-term interest rates. And it is worth remembering that certain forms of fiscal tapering could also take place, should such legislation be passed embodied in the lessened economic stimulus associated with higher corporate income, capital gains, estate, and other taxes. According to the May 7th through 13th Bloomberg Monthly Survey of Economy economists, the 10-year U.S. Treasury benchmark yield is forecast to modestly rise to 1.9% by year-end 2021 and 2.17% at year-end 2022. To our way of thinking, this consensus point of view may be too low, especially in light of 1. the trajectory of economic recovery, 2. the continuing boost from policy stimulus, 3. some degree of of uptick in inflation and four the likely commencement of monetary tapering in fourth quarter 2021 or first quarter 2022 the manner in which the fed atom rates announces and applies the tapering of its quantitative easing program is likely to exert an important degree of influence on financial market volatility in the second half of 2021 and early into 2022 more explicit discussion of one talking about talking about tapering then two actually talking about tapering and then three setting a timetable for tapering could take place at one or more of the following assemblies. The June 15th through 16th FOMC meeting, the July 27th through 28th FOMC meeting, at the August 26th through 28th Jackson Hole Wyoming Economic Symposium, and the September 21st through 22nd FOMC meeting. At this point, In line with the thinking of the quarterly survey of market participants by the New York Federal Reserve, we think the Fed will likely announce at the August symposium or the September FOMC meeting that tapering of its asset purchases will commence at some point between November and the early months of 2022, depending on the state of the employment market and other economic activity investors may consider positioning portfolios to contain assets that benefit from rising interest rates, such as floating rate securities and bank equities, while seeking to limit capital losses in the fixed income realm by reducing the maturity and duration of bond holdings. Now let's discuss the US fiscal picture. We believe it is important to follow closely the discussions on the projected U.S. fiscal picture for the fiscal year 2022 beginning October 1, 2021, including specific provisions relating to the upcoming 22 fiscal years portion of the proposed infrastructure spending and taxes in order to ascertain the form, for example, infrastructure outlays versus benefit payments, magnitude, targeting, timing, and specific financial impact on state and local governments and their associated economies, on companies, on households, and not least on interest rates, the U.S. dollar, and financial asset prices. For example, the actual rate of any capital gains tax increase and its effective date can affect portfolio investment behavior. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the administration's fiscal plans would raise the country's federal debt held by the public to 117% of gross domestic product in 2031, up from 79.2% in 2019 and an estimated 109.7% in 2021, A forecast which has drawn some degree of skeptical commentary from former U.S. Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers and others since it assumes that the debt servicing costs will remain low over the remainder of this decade. According to the Congressional Budget Office, the fiscal 2022 budget of the Biden administration projects federal government spending amounting to $6 trillion. $2 two trillion more than before the pandemic in twenty nineteen, consisting of five point zero five trillion in baseline spending, five hundred twenty nine billion of spending from the one point nine trillion American Rescue Plan passed earlier this year, $118 billion in additional requested discretionary spending, and an estimated three hundred billion of first year spending from a portion of whatever final amounts of the proposed $1.8 trillion American Families Plan and the $2.3 trillion American Jobs Plan eventually gets passed by Congress and signed into law. Expected beneficiaries of the infrastructure plan include companies and sectors that supply goods and services to the building and repair of roads, bridges, airports, water storage and treatment facilities ports, inland waterways, broadband, public transit systems, and passenger and freight rail networks. Now let's discuss the economy. Despite some degree of apparent softness in the April and May payroll data, the Federal Reserve has indicated that its in-house employment figures derived from automatic data processing payroll input are giving constructive signals about the health of the labor market and the overall economic picture. At the same time, it is worth keeping in mind that one significant reason the employment data remain below pre-pandemic levels is due to the fact that many individuals, for various reasons, have been unwilling to return to work, a labor supply issue, rather than employers not wanting to add to staffing levels, a demand issue. Based among other factors, on the May results for the ISM Manufacturing Index, a very strong 61.2 versus 60.7 in April, and the ISM Services Index, a record high 64.0 versus 62.7 in April, our view holds that the data points that will be coming out of the immediate weeks and months ahead should remain meaningfully constructive. As consumer and business confidence strengthens, employment and wage levels expand, retail sales and private consumption continue to rebound, and business capital expenditures Exhibit substantial growth. After declining negative 3.5% in 2020, U.S. real GDP could advance positive 6.5 to 7.0% or more in 2021, followed by a very decent encore of somewhere in the neighborhood of positive 4.5 to 5.0% GDP growth in 2022. These sanguine U.S. GDP growth projections should be buttressed by a smartly expanding global economy. On June 1st, the 38 country Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development upgraded its forecasts for global real GDP growth to positive 5.8% for 2021 and positive 4.4% for 2022, compared with its December projections of positive 4.2% and positive 3.7% respectively. Now let's discuss corporate profits. As of June 4th, according to FactSet, securities analysts were carrying the following forecasts for S&P 500 revenues and earnings, respectively. First quarter 2021 positive 10.8% and positive 52.4%. Second quarter 2021, positive 19.3% and positive 61.0%. Third quarter 2021, positive 11.9% and positive 22.7%. Fourth quarter 2021, positive 8.8% and positive 17.2%. And for the full 2021 calendar year, positive 12.0% and positive 34.4%. And, as tabulated by Yardini Research Incorporated, at the end of first quarter 2021, S&P 500 companies' forward net profit margins stood at a record high 12.8%. In our opinion, as the year progresses and as the economy continues to reopen, analysts may slow down or halt their upward earnings revisions, and these profit margins may come under... Some degree of pressure owing to rising commodity prices, labor, and other cost pressures, supply chain issues, and especially higher corporate taxes. While the currently generous profit margins and the Rosé revenue and earnings profit forecast presented represent a tailwind for equity prices, we are, nevertheless, emphasizing caution, quality, and active security selections in styles and sectors. Now let's discuss valuations. As of early June, the forward price earnings ratio of the S&P 500 index was 21.3, considerably above its 5-year mean, 17.0, as well as its 10-year mean, 15.3. Among several valuation indicators including price to sales, price to book value, and total market capitalization to replacement cost, known as Professor James Tobin's Q-Ratio, two that appear extended are, one, the so-called Buffett Ratio, which Warren Buffett calls probably the best single measure of where valuations stand at any given moment, representing the percentage of U.S. equities' total market capitalization relative to aggregate U.S. GDP at 209.1%. This indicator is considered to be significantly overvalued. 2. The cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio, also known as the CAPE ratio or Shiller ratio, named after its creator, Yale professor in 2013, Nobel economics laureate Robert Schiller, representing prices divided by cyclically adjusted 10-year average earnings after inflation. At a recent level of 37.49, this indicator is considered to be positive 122.9% overvalued versus its 151-year, 1870-2021 to average rating of 16.82. It is worth remembering that while overly high or overly low valuations in and of themselves are rarely a trigger for initiating major asset price moves, they nevertheless can be a valuable barometer of prevailing investor euphoria or despondency. In our view, especially when considered from a long-term perspective, these very high valuations may be a warning sign for equity investors to exercise extra caution and vigilance. As the U.S. and global economies continue to emerge from the extraordinary circumstances of the pandemic and post-pandemic era. Now let's discuss money supply growth and velocity. While much commentary has been devoted in the post-pandemic era to the potential inflationary implications of U.S. money supply growth, it is important, at the same time, to keep in mind the composition of three frequently referenced measures of money supply. The broad money measure, known as M2, includes 1. Notes and coins in circulation, 2. Demand deposits, 3. Checking and Other Liquid Deposits 4. Small Denomination Time Deposits And 5. Retail Money Market Funds For the years from 1960 to 2020, the panel provided in the original commentary displays the 3-month and 12-month percentage growth rates of the U.S. M2 money supply, vividly illustrating the significant rates of increase experienced since the onset of the pandemic in early 2020, driven by 1. Precautionary cash buildups in the corporate realm, 2. stimulus checks coursing into households, bank accounts, and 3. Federal Reserve purchasing of US Treasury securities and mortgage-backed bonds, creating higher monetary balances in the private sector. And thus far as shown in the panel provided in the original commentary, any potential monetary inflation impulse has been muted by the equally significant drop-off in the US velocity of M2 circulation, driven by the very modest levels of bank lending and still subdued spending activity by businesses, and consumers. Vigilant attention is called for to ascertain whether a meaningful pickup in monetary velocity could add inflationary pressure that the Federal Reserve might have to quell through tightening monetary conditions by reducing quantitative easing and increasing the target Fed funds policy interest rate. Now let's discuss equities perspective. The panel provided in the original commentary sets forth the average monthly returns of the Standard & Poor's 500 Index for the 40 years including 1980-2019. through Recognizing that these average returns by definition encompass results below and above the percentage changes, it is nevertheless illuminating to examine the month-by-month S&P 500 outcomes to reveal seasonal tendencies over the past four decades. Monthly S&P 500 percentage changes in descending order were: April positive 1.51%, November positive 1.48%, December positive 1.11%, May positive 0.97%, March positive 0.96%, October positive 0.92%, January positive 0.82%, July positive 0.79%, February positive 0.29%, June Positive 0.02%, August, negative 0.15%, and September, negative 0.70%. The phrase sell in May and go away is considered to originate from an English expression sell in May and go away and come back on St. Ledger's Day, describing the custom of more than a few financial industry participants who departed the city of London during the warm summer months and returned around the time of St. Ledger's Stakes a mid-September thoroughbred horse race and the last leg of the British Triple Crown. The sell-in-may-and-go-away theme, reducing or divesting equity holdings in the late spring and reinvesting in late autumn, has been considered to reflect, due to perceptions of vacation-related lower trading volumes and thus putative impressions of lackluster price movements, the average historical underperformance of equity indices in the summery six months from May through October, compared to the wintry six-months period extending from November through April. While we do not espouse a to take advantage of short-term price movements, and we hasten to point out that a season-based tactical investment strategy has produced only mixed results in recent years, we nevertheless feel it is beneficial to be aware that some months have tended, not always, to produce better S&P 500 price gains than others. Now let's discuss long-term asset class assumptions. 1. The process by which many financial firms and the Americana Partners Investment Committee develop assumptions for the returns and standard deviations of returns for various asset classes takes into account several factors, including 1. Existing valuations, both on an absolute basis and relative to historical valuation levels. 2. The forecasted outlook for global and domestic GDP, corporate profits, interest rate spreads, versus perceived risk-free assets and expectations for upward or downward changes in the general price level, for example, inflation or deflation. 3. Predictions as to coupon, dividend, share repurchase, rental, or other income flows. The current and predicted shape and position of the yield curve and yields at which income flows are expected to be reinvested. The outlook for going forward versus historical fixed income security roll down capital gains. And the likelihood of default loss and four, not least, structural influences involving technological innovation and application affecting the financial sector, New issuance, repayment, and retirement volume, trends in active passive investment management, rates of saving and indebtedness, fiscal, monetary, and currency policies, patterns of global trade and investment, and often importantly, the political and geopolitical backdrop. 2. The forecasted expected returns that are sourced from the six financial firms represent, as of the first half of 2021, estimated nominal total returns and standard deviations of returns denominated in U.S. dollars, net of average management fees the historical returns data represents annualized 10-year total returns and standard deviations of returns as of March 31, 2021. Three, we also indicate low-end 7-year or 10-year returns assumptions in yellow and high-end 7-year or 10-year return assumptions in blue. Four, Given Americana Investment Committee's view of elevated valuation levels as of mid-May 2021 for certain equity, bond, and alternative asset classes, as well as the Committee's assessment of macroeconomic conditions reflecting potential price-level changes, economic and corporate profit trends, fiscal and monetary policies, and geopolitical developments, the Committee's 10-year forward-looking expected returns assumptions are lower than the 10-year historical returns as of March 31, 2021 Four. U.S. large cap, U.S. mid cap, and U.S. small cap equities, U.S. aggregate bonds, high yield bonds, international bonds, emerging market bonds, inflation-linked bonds, and private equity. 5. And given the Americana Investment Committee's assessment of what are considered more reasonable entry levels as of mid-May 2021 for certain non-U.S. equity and alternative asset classes, as well as the Committee's assessment of macroeconomic conditions reflecting potential price-level changes, economic and corporate profit trends, fiscal and monetary policies, and geopolitical developments, the Committee's 10-year forward-looking expected return assumptions are higher than the 10-year historical returns as of March 31, 2021 for international developed equities, and emerging market equities, hedge funds, commodities, and cash instruments. 6. Given its acknowledgement of 1. Historically low yield levels, 2. Elevated valuations in many corners of the equity universe, and 3. Potential sources of alpha income and diversification from alternative asset classes, the Americana Partners Investment Committee's 10-year returns assumptions are near or within 10-20 to basis points of the mean expected 7-year or 10-year annual return assumptions. 4. U.S. large-cap equities, U.S. small-cap equities, U.S. aggregate bonds, high-yield bonds, inflation-linked bonds, private credit, private real estate, commodities, and cash instruments. 7. Further, given its acknowledgement of 1. somewhat more reasonable valuations in certain corners of the equity universe, and 2. potential sources of alpha, income, and diversification from alternative asset classes, the Americana Partners Investment Committee's 10 year returns assumptions are above, or 40 to 50 basis points more, of the mean expected 7 year or 10 year annual return assumptions. 4. U.S. mid-cap equities, international developed equities, hedge funds, and private equity. 8. And given its acknowledgment of 1. Low relative yield levels and 2. Perceived full valuations in parts of the non-U.S. equity universe, the Americana Partners Investment Committee's 10-year returns assumptions are below, or 40 to 70 basis points less, of the mean expected 7-year or 10-year annual returns assumptions for emerging market equities, international bonds, and emerging Market bonds. 9. Also worth noting about the 10-year asset class returns assumptions is the fact that they relate to passive-only strategies. It is the committee's considered opinion that active management may deliver significantly different risk-adjusted returns dependent upon the asset class. The investment performance dispersion among managers in alternative asset classes such as private equity, private credit, and private real estate and hedge funds has historically tended to be considerably wider than the dispersion of returns among managers in conventional asset classes. 10. It is worth keeping in mind that the Americana Partners Investment Committee's forecasts and assumptions are based on existing market conditions as of May 19, 2021, and may be subject to change as the committee alters its assessment of asset classes' fundamentals, valuations, and technical liquidity conditions. The long-term asset class returns assumptions are intended for reference purposes and are not designed to be used unilaterally for making short-term tactical asset allocation decisions. Exclusive on on these 10-year returns assumptions for strategic asset allocation and investment strategy is also not advised. These returns assumptions are not intended as a recommendation to invest in any specific asset class or strategy, nor do they represent a prediction or guarantee of future investment performance. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. Portfolio positioning strategies. In the current economic expansion and fluctuating yield environment, we believe that careful thought, planning, and attention needs to be devoted to the investors' most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy, which include 1. Diversification, which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which encompasses using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio, while at the same time adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though deemed not permanent, price declines versus intrinsic value. 3 risk management, which involves recognizing when markets become consumed by meme securities, momentum plays, story stocks, and information overload, a situation that has pertained in recent months to more than a few companies in the technology space, and understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the various roles of short-term liquid securities real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decades-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth, all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, equanimity, patience, tax awareness, and longevity in capturing and compounding dividend, coupon, rental, and other income flows, and five, asset protection and husbandry, which encompasses considerations of income and capital gains, taxation at the state, local, federal, and possibly international level, estate planning, relevant insurance design and structuring, cybersecurity shielding, portfolio monitoring and reporting, administrative costs, forms, frequency, and means of access and custody. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning principles. We continue to allocate to a considered and considerable exposure to equities with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, and geographies, and where appropriate, from a cost, timing, tax, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the next few years in selecting asset categories, asset classes, asset managers, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Paying attention to the value of money, taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt monetization, and the modern monetary theory approach that to some degree in the pandemic response era has been pursued by the authorities, within shifting money and credit cycles to service America's massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. 2. Concentrating on all-weather sectors and companies, seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of which political persuasion informs the thinking and policies of the White House and our Congress, evolving environmental, social, and governance ESG priorities and values, wealth distribution initiatives, and public health conditions, and wider socio-economic trends. 3. Distinguishing between temporary and permanent change. Focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new social and political power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on- and offshoring channels, new work-from-home and work-from-anywhere employment modalities, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person-to-person and business-to-business work, leisure, learning, and wellness activity. 4. Taking advantage of demographic tailwinds. Through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies, gaining exposure to, and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. 5. Comprehending and verifying past success, emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful track records and past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and the ability to generate and sustain high multi-year returns on equity derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through overly high levels of leverage, meaningfully above the companies and sector's weighted average cost of capital. And six identifying innovative and disruptive technology hegemons, focusing on technology enablers, disruptors, and dominators in biotechnology, public health, artificial intelligence, data analytics, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, infrastructure, robotics, quantum computing, battery inventions, alternative energy, electric vehicles, and cybersecurity, while not least, also taking account of the environmental, social, and governance ESG characteristics of companies in these and other fields. Portfolio Positioning Tactics 1. Keeping things in perspective, many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, purchasing power protection, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving taxation regimes, social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological penetration and usage, and importantly, perceptions of the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. 2. Flexibility versus conviction in formulating investment thinking. In seeking to determine when to adhere to and when to lean against prevailing consensus views, sometimes pejoratively referred to as groupthink, it is important to critically question the soundness and durability of the reasoning and assumptions underlying a given investment framework and positioning at any point in time. While it may not make sense to hold out of consensus view just for the sake of doing so, often expressed as don't fight the tape at other times, especially at major cyclical or secular turning points, at a major asset top when reality is finally found to fall short of prevailing overly optimistic expectations, or a major asset bottom when reality is shown to be worth considerably more than Prevailing overly pessimistic expectations, the rewards of implementing a contrarian stance can be quite meaningful. 3. Enhancing and preserving. While we confess to a continuing degree of unease over recent episodes of investor exuberance and the popularity of stocks and sectors considered to be forever holdings, our short term inclination at this juncture is to take note of the Federal Reserve's support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength to continue the course of upgrading positions. Offloading lower quality, higher risk assets, and with timing and price discipline adding to attractively priced higher quality assets on equity market pullbacks. Four, equity emphases and de-emphases, particularly in the current conditions of historically low U.S. Treasury interest rates, and given the likely focus areas of government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, deserve to retain some degree of evaluation premium. Within equities, one, we recommend continuing to gradually shift emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the inclusion of select value sectors, companies, and managers. Two, we continue to counsel adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space. to our primary yet gradually lessening emphasis on large capitalization enterprises. And three, for the time being, while we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities, with any pullbacks currently viewed as an opportunity to judiciously add equities, particularly those sectors and small and mid-cap companies likely to benefit from an economic recovery. Year-to-date through May 28th, the Russell 2000 index was positive 14.9%, outperforming the S&P 500 index up positive 11.9%, while we also espouse building higher allocations to our positions in emerging market equities and developed international markets, such as Japan, with the Nikkei 2025 index year-to-date through May 28th up positive 6.2% in local currency terms. Five, focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including one, incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. Two, a focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending and sustainable consumer demand. And three, Advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we emphasize identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like cash-rich balance sheets, prudence in balance sheet utilization, limited debt, consistency, and durability of positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models with sustainable competitive advantages high barriers to entry, low threat of substitute products, and viable pricing power vis-a-vis suppliers and or customers that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity, 6. Balancing Growth and Value Sectors Through Wednesday, June second, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 5.9%, while the Russell 1000 Value Index, including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial businesses had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 18.4% year-to-date. This 12.5 percentage point value minus growth returns differential appears to argue for continuing the process of prudent reallocation from selected growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers. As this process continues, it is worth keeping in mind that true value investing represents identifying assets that are trading for less than they are actually worth, Not assets that are merely inexpensive. Many superficially inexpensive assets may very well be inexpensive for a reason and can very well remain so or deteriorate further. Seven, fixed income securities. Bond prices persist at elevated price levels, with ultra-low yields across the maturity spectrum, even though yields have risen somewhat since year-end 2020, with, according to Bloomberg in mid-December, an astounding total of $18 trillion in global negative yielding, sovereign and some corporate debt outstanding. We affirm our preference for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum, both in taxable, investment grade, and high-yield bonds, and in tax-exempt bonds where we continue to see some pockets of value on a taxable equivalent basis. We see fixed-income securities as continuing to be subject to price risk due to our expectation of further increases in yield levels as 2021 progresses, and thus we prefer maturities and durations along the short-to-intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 8. U.S. dollar outlook after declining negative 9.9% in 2017, appreciating 0.4% in 2018, marginally gaining positive 0.4% in 2019, and declining negative 3.4% in 2020, the DXY U.S. dollar index measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the euro, Japanese yen, Swedish krona, British pound, Canadian dollar, and Swiss franc, had, as of market close on June 2nd, appreciated only positive 0.1% year-to-date in 2021. As this year progresses, We believe the U.S. dollar may begin to trace a gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to the U.S. trade deficit cycle, as well as the Federal Reserve's stated preference for lower yields in the United States for the next 12 months or even longer. The U.S. dollar's relative income-generating advantage may begin to play a lesser role in the currency's path and global investors become increasingly aware of the magnitude of the U.S. current account payments deficit and, particularly, the massive fiscal 2020 and 2021 federal government budget deficits. 9. Alternative Investments and Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to 1. commodities and real asset sectors of the economy, including industrial metals, agriculture, and materials, 2. gold and or gold mining ETFs shares, particularly the miners with reserves and stable geographic locations, capital discipline, and cash flow growth. As of January 21st, according to Spraw Asset Management, the NYSE ARCA Gold Miners Index. Traded at an enterprise value to earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization ratio of 7.81 times compared to the equal-weighted S&P 500's ratio of 16.76 times, the widest spread in 10 years. 3. High-quality, master-limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity. 4 select investments in private credit and private real estate. Five, and opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the economic profits recovery that we expect in the year ahead. This concludes our June market commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners' chief investment officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested.